You have forgotten who you are, and so have forgotten me. You are more than what you have become. It's a small world after- Please! Anything but that. Welcome to Avant Bard, a podcast where two theater nerds explore the highest highs and the lowest lows of works inspired by that upstart crow himself. A William Shakespeare, what a wonderful phrase, a William Shakespeare, ain't no passing craze. My name is Megan Charlotte, and I use she, her pronouns. And my name is Matthew James Marquez and I use he, him pronouns. All right, Megan, we're here. The Walt Disney Company. The Mouse Meets the Upstart Crow. Disney and Shakespeare finally together. Now we've dipped our feet into Disney a bit before with A Muppet Christmas Carol, but again, that was a completely different podcast. That wasn't avant-garde, so it doesn't count. This is the first time we're covering Disney on the podcast. And I think it's time we dove in head first because we are discussing what is most likely the highest grossing project we talk about on Avant Bard. That's right, we're talking the Great Mouse Detective. No, no, we're we're talking about the Lion King, Marquez. The Great Mouse Detective. Lion King. <laughs> Megan, you silly goose, we're talking about the Lion King. That's why, that's what I, I said that. The Lion King is an animated film released on June 15th, 1994 by Walt Disney Animation. It was directed by Roger Allers and Bob Minkoff and written by <gasps> Irene Mechie, Jonathan Roberts, Linda Wolverton, with a full story team led by Brenda Chapman, who is a very interesting figure who was the co-director on Brave. And I just need to say that if you think Brave is unbalanced, it's because she was forced to leave the project as the first female Pixar director of a feature film. And that place is very insular and kind of toxic. So you know how uh, there was a whole thing about the evil bear and then that was kind of dropped and then the bear showed up at the end. There was a whole other yeah, plot yeah. involving a bear. Anyway, back to The Lion King. So a few things about the production of The Lion King. The story changed wildly during production as it was fraught with problems. Many animators didn't consider it a prestigious enough project, and many instead elected to work on Pocahontas, which I believe that everyone today can agree was probably a bad move in hindsight. I mean, to be fair, I think that the animation on Pocahontas is pretty good. So I can't blame the animators. But as for standing the test of time, I think we can all agree that The Lion King will and Pocahontas won't. The animators also had a difficult time animating the film because a decision was made early on not to anthropomorphize the animals. So they had to study actual animals for the film. And you can tell that they did for a long time. It's so so good. Now, I could go on and on about the many aspects of this film, but since the cast of the film is so stacked, I want to save some time for the acting corner. So let's move on to the Shakespearean aspect of the film. According to the filmmakers, The Lion King is based on the biblical stories of Joseph and Moses. Hold up. How? As well as William Shakespeare's Hamlet. 
missing a few things, but okay. I don't know, Megan. I mean, I'm sure if I delved deeper into it, we could probably make some connections to Joseph and Moses. But this isn't the good podcast exploring the highest highs and the lowest lows of works inspired by the holiest of holies himself, God. It's avant-garde. We're a Shakespeare podcast, so I'm going to ignore those first two. I still think they're wrong. I know that the creators themselves said it, but they're incorrect. So Hamlet, a play of serious introspection about whether you should believe a ghost outright that you should kill your uncle, is what The Lion King is based on. I am being a bit reductive about Hamlet, but Megan, I think you and I really need to dissect this film. Is this film really based on Hamlet? I think we need to dig deeper. But first, I need to go into Marquez's acting corner. And this is probably our longest one yet. Megan should be very excited. Oh my god, I'm scrolling. It's so long. So I'm going to go through a couple of actors really fast because though they are important, I have a much bigger point I want to make. First off, Matthew Broderick, Ferris Bueller himself, voices adult Simba. Jonathan Taylor Thomas, teen girl heartthrob of the 90s and home improvement fame, voices young Simba. Jeremy Irons, famed star of stage and obviously the villain of the Dungeons and Dragons movie, voices Scar. Nathan Lane, famous gay actor, voices Timon. And we have another avant-garde second appearance as Rowan Atkinson, the Black Adder himself, voices Zazu. What? Yes, Megan, that's Rowan Atkinson. I'm so bad at recognizing voices. This is embarrassing. (laughs) Cheech Marin voices the hyena Banzai, and Chong was not available. So it really is weird that they're like, we want Cheech and Chong in this movie. And Cheech is like, yeah, I'm so in. And Chong's like, nah. And they're like, we can't say no to Cheech. We offered. And since most of the cast are white, I want to mention specifically the black voice actors of the film. Jason Weaver, who was the older brother of the sitcom Smart Guy, was the singing voice of young Simba. Madge Sinclair, a famed Jamaican Emmy Award-winning actress known mostly for her television work, voices Simba's mother, Sarabi. Ooh, good. Robert Guillaume is also an Emmy Award-winning actor and won a Grammy for voicing the Lion King audiobook. He plays Rafiki. And rounding out the acting corner, we've got two EGOTs, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony-winning actors. One of them is a technicality, but it still counts. James Earl Jones, famed deep voice actor, famous also for his work on stage and screen, got started in August Wilson's Fences on stage before becoming the voice of Darth Vader, as well as securing an Oscar nomination for Field of Dreams. And though his Oscar is an honorary one and not a competitive one, he's still an EGOT winner. And I have one more actor to round it out, Megan. Whoopi freaking Goldberg! Another EGOT, The Color Purple, Ghost, Sister Act, Star Trek, Magical Legend of the Leprechauns, 
She's another two-timer. I didn't even realize it, Megan. Ooh, two in one. I saw her in Xanadu on Broadway, and I was like, that's Whoopi Goldberg. I was very young. It's Whoopi. Anyways, Whoopi Goldberg is probably one of my favorite actors of all time. Whoopi. I can say Whoopi. Whoopi. She plays a hyena. Her name's Shenzi. I'm I'm done. Wait, who plays the third hyena? A nobody? No, I mean, it's just... It's just weird, because you talked about two of them, and then the last one's what? Not Chong? (laughs) I believe the last one is Frank Welker, who's just the most famous person who voices random animal noises. Nice. We begin. Pride Rock. A celebration. (laughs) The Circle of Life song, Megan? Yeah. It's undisputed bop. Listen, I'm going to state this outright. I don't think that any song in Lion King is a miss. Yeah, I think you're right. Lion King's got a real good soundtrack. Yeah. But I just watched this section and I just want to know what all these other animals talk about. Because we only hear lions, hyenas, and some birds talk. Oh, and, you know, a warthog and a meerkat. But, like, what do the giraffes talk about? Leaves. What What are the elephants talk about i don't think they have much to like worry about except for maybe the fucking lions that they're staring at that might chase them down and eat their young megan i don't want to get into this right now but if you want to i will what do the elephants have to fear no elephants get killed by lions like ever in the wild only if it's sickly or a baby that's true elephants are just like ah Everything the light touches is mine. Like, in all honesty, elephants should be the kings of the savannah. Yeah, but they don't got manes. But they're big. Yeah, but that means they can't stand up on the rock. Oh, you're right. It might break. So everybody in the savannah is there to see the newborn heir of King Mufasa and Queen Sarabi. It's weird to me because though they say Mufasa is king, No one ever calls him, like, King Mufasa. No, it was weird when I said it. It's just like, (laughs) that's Mufasa. By the way, the lions are the kings, and Mufasa's the leader of the lions. And I don't think the word queen is ever stated. It might be, but I can't remember a single time queen has come up. Immediately, my brain starts doing some Megan-level analysis. What do these characters represent in Shakespeare works? And Rafiki, he comes up. He looks like a figure of authority. He's the one that's doing the cub raising. He's the one that puts dust and fruit on the baby. You know, your classic. The usual. Your classic things. So my brain immediately goes to Rafiki is the Catholic Church. Because that's just who is the figure of authority. Who gave him this authority? I don't know. He just seemed apt for it. He's a monkey? Is that it? He's got hands? He does have thumbs. As we all know, the Catholic Church has thumbs. They do (laughs) typically have thumbs. Yep. So we know Mufasa is well-loved by all of his people because all of the prey, since, get it like peasants, but they're prey, come to see him. Don't shake your head at me. This doesn't work, Megan. The pun does not work. Presents. It's like presents. Yes, it sounds like (laughs) presents. 
Uh, but but they all come to see the showing off of the baby. The, yeah, the baby cub raising. And they all freak out and they're like, woo, woo, we fucking love you. But honestly, in reality, they'd probably be like, monkey, please drop the baby. Please, I don't want it to eat me later. Megan, which of these animals were you most excited about as a kid? So when I was a kid, I didn't know what the antelope were, but I was just like, man, look at those strong deer. I love them. <laughs> Those strong deer. I love the monkeys because they're just like. Yeah, that scared me. (laughs) Monkeys you can't control. Thank God they're not chimps. Oh, your least favorite thing in the world. Well, chimps and strong, powerful silverback gorillas. I love a mama gorilla with her babies. Love, love, love. As soon as it's a man who might get angry because another one's peeing on him. I'm out. We get our first proof of an early modern concept, which is light shines through the heavens onto baby Simba, showing us the divine right of kings. This is God's chosen future ruler. But is it Hamlet, Megan? You know how frequently they talk about I have to kill Claudius because God didn't actually want Claudius to be the king. That's a joke. It's never really brought up. No. The divine right of kings is not a thing in Hamlet, but it is very obvious in this moment that this is a divine right of kings calling of Simba. So that's not very Hamlet. One point for not Hamlet. And then we get, boom, the Lion King title card in red on black, which honestly feels more menacing than it is i know that they were going for epic but like it's a red text on a black background which i associate with menace and we move in to oh who's this other male lion with this black mane he's just hot what the hell scar's hot he's like a shakespearean character and he's hot That's, those are most of Megan's notes on Scar, is that he's hot. It sucks. Why is he so hot? Why'd they do this? I don't want to think this way. I don't know what to tell you, Megan. Scar is just hot. Maybe it's also because he is voiced by smooth and yet at the same time gravelly voiced actor Jeremy Irons. True. I think that just might be it. There's just something about that voice. Like, if he was not voiced by Jeremy Irons, I don't, I, yeah. he wouldn't be as hot. There's a clear divide between the lions that are hot because they're animated hot and lions who are hot because their voice actor is hot. That's fair. Like, the combo really does it. Yeah. Anyway, so Scar's mad that Simba is king because he was next in line. And we find this out through Zazu, a bird. And Zazu is really a like middle management kind of figure but he's kind of bumbling so i was like is he a fool no he's not a fool like he's full adjacent right he's like polonius yeah where you're like this is kind of foolish but not quite there and also he's got knowledge of things so he's useful right A fool wouldn't be this useful to a king. Right. He's useful to a king, but he's also just kind of overbearing to the kids. And he seems just like an old fogey kind of guy. Yeah. But like still young. And 
Mufasa comes in and is like, Scar, what the hell are you doing? Because Scar just wants to eat Zazu. He like swallows him up. Yeah. And he didn't come to the showing off of Simba, baby. Yeah, the cub raising. The cub raising. You know, the good old fashioned <laughs> cub raising. Get around, y'all. We're going to raise a cub here. So Mufasa's like, the fuck, bro? You didn't show up to my cub raising. You're trying to eat my Zazu. What the hell? And Scar says something about like, oh, I'm sorry, Sir King. I'll, I'll practice my curtsy sort of thing. And that's that reminds me of the line from Romeo and Juliet. When they're like, oh, Romeo, you curtsy man now. Do lions wear skirts? Why would a lion curtsy at all, regardless of clothing? Megan, we can't- Why do they know what a curtsy is? <laughs> oh, we can't cinema sense this, Megan. We'll be here all day. We just gotta accept that there is a suspension of disbelief that these lions are going to say things that they should have no reference for. Another Shakespeare reference I want to make. So Mufasa is the firstborn of these brothers, obviously, and he's all big and strong. And Scar is the secondborn, and he's not going to become king. And he's more cunning. Mm. And this has given me very big Edgar and Edmund vibes from King Lear. Oh, yeah. I just got to say, uh, Scar doesn't give a shit about anyone. Don't trust this dude. This guy clearly wants to kill Mufasa. This is severely obvious energy that he's giving off. If Scar was a person, he would be licking a knife in the scene. <laughs> and you'd be like, cool, that's my very trustworthy brother, Scar. His name is Scar. He's got a scar over one eye and look at him wanting to kill me. He went, man, you know, if you were dead, I'd be king. You know, if I killed your kid, I mean, if nature killed your kid, I'd be king next. It would be like if Iago was like, hi, my name is Iago. I want to destroy you, Othello. And Othello was like, ha ha ha, Iago, what a scamp. <laughs> So next we get the scene in which Simba is no longer a baby. He is now a child cub. Yeah, we've yeared up. And it, he gets to spend the day with his dad. Something we absolutely see in Hamlet. See, that's the thing. Shakespeare doesn't get to do things like that, which I think is a shame. Because kids, you can't have kids well, acting that well. I mean, you do. You uh, dress them all up like adults and you put on little plays where they do adult plays and then you laugh at them, which is what they did in early modern England. Yeah, but you don't put an actual kid in your serious work that you want to. Unless they die. Unless they die. Well, like you don't have a kid have a big speaking part. No. You can't have a tiny baby that's like, I'm Hamlet. You're like, uh-uh. Maybe in one scene being held and then he's grown up. Yes. I gotta say, the instrumentals also rule in this movie. Everything. They, this movie is just a masterpiece. They got Hans Zimmer, who is famous for a lot of other movies. You know, I think he gets a little bit more famous as time goes on as he does all of Christopher Nolan's movies. He's bringing the work. Mufasa talks to Simba about how the sun will set on his time and rise with Simba's time as king, which is, again, some fucking divine right of king shit. Just wanted to point that out. This is incredibly important to the Lion King. So this is really one of our strongest first reasons why this doesn't quite seem fully Hamlet. 
We never get Hamlet saying, my dad always talked to me about how I would be king next. And that is And why so I I'm upset because it should be me. Yes. So yeah. I'm going to rally a bunch of people. That's the thing about divine right. It makes it so if the person who's supposed to become king doesn't, then they can rally a bunch of people behind them to take down the usurper. And Hamlet never talks a second about wanting to be king. No. In fact, he mostly doesn't want to be king. He doesn't want to be doing anything. So then we get the talk about what the song at the beginning was about, which is the circle of light. And Mufasa explains that all things are part of it, even antelopes and ants. And that's why we have to take care of them. And we make sure that everything runs smoothly. And then Simba makes a great point of like, wait, but don't we eat those antelope? Yeah, but Megan, then the lion's bodies become the grass and the antelope eat the grass. And you know what, Megan? Only lions become grass. Everything else doesn't. Yeah. I'm trying to connect this to royalty in the early modern period. There's not really a connection here. I guess like, no, there isn't. There's nothing. This is completely not anything to do with early modern. Which is fine. Yeah. Like, while we're discussing this, I just want to point out to everyone that we're not trying to say that this makes Lion King bad. For the most part, we're trying to explain why we think that saying that Lion King is Hamlet and just leaving it at that is really stunting what the Lion King is about. Yeah. Also, I'm pro-Lion King. Immensely so. It's my favorite Disney animated picture. I watched it a lot as a kid. I bit the clamshell VHS case as a child to the point in which it still exists with my teeth marks in it because I was a teething baby whose teeth hurt and the only respite was the Lion King VHS. Anyway, Zaza comes in. He's got a bunch of fucking puns. He's given the daily report. But the main thing of the report is, uh-oh, Mufasa, things are bad. You know how we know? Because hyenas are in the Pride Lands. Megan? Yeah. What are hyenas in our metaphor for early modern England? Ba bad. My theory is that the hyenas are the French. Okay. Yeah, like they should be in their land. And England hates France. Yeah. So like, st stay in France, you Frenchies. Something about this movie that is wild to me is the fact that Mufasa just had a speech about how everything is a part of the circle of life. Except those fucking hyenas. Get them out of my lands. They're carrion feeders. I don't like them. Only the grass <laughs> is supposed to eat the dead. I just don't get it. Hyenas play an important part of the ecosystem. So something I want to bring up regarding that, I think it's interesting because the hyenas, we find out, spend their time in an elephant graveyard. And as we were talking about before, if anyone is kind of removed from the circle of life, it's really the elephants. So I find that interesting because it's an elephant graveyard, but it's the hyenas that they're like, <laughs> they shouldn't be here. They have to exist in the shitty parts of our pride lands. Okay. They exist in that shadowy area over there, those damn hyenas. So Mufasa's gonna go take care of it, and Simba can't come. It's too dangerous. Yep. Because he's not allowed to go with the shadows. We're gonna hang out with our most trustworthy friend, Uncle Scar. I mentioned this before, Megan. 
Scar's gay, right? Oh, I mean, we never see him in a romantic relationship with any lion, so. This is like part of a whole milieu on which Disney villains are queer coded. Yeah. And listen, I believe that queer people very much embrace Disney villains. Well, here's the thing. You could very easily take it as an insult. Oh, yeah. And I think it is totally. An insult. Yes, it is saying that. You are an outsider to this story, and how are we going to showcase that you're an outsider to this story? We're going to queer code the shit out of you. But then they're like, and also the villain is hot. And the coolest person in the movie. Has awesome songs and looks cool and acts awesome. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I want to be gay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a weird double-edged sword that they're doing here, but I love it. We just have Simba being like, yeah, Uncle Scar, I'm going to be king and you're going to fucking sit here doing nothing because I'm going to be king. And this kid's a little shit. What the hell? Don't, you don't do, I mean, you do do that if you're going to be king. I'm not on Simba's side right now. Megan, how many five-year-olds have you hung out with? Yeah, I'm usually not on their side. Yeah, they're usually kind of pieces of shit. They don't really understand things. Well, I have a pool and you don't. Guess I get to swim a lot. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I know. I'm jealous. I get it. This is where I'm going to bring up where I think that Simba's tragic flaw, if he were to die at the end of this movie, Mm -hmm. at this point is because of the expectations put upon him for being king. And how he deals with that. And right now he's dealing with that poorly. Yeah, because he mentions to Scar that he's not supposed to go in the shadowy places. And Scar's like, oh, well, yeah, that's because it's super cool in an elephant graveyard and only really brave kings go there. Yeah, and Scar's just preying on his insecurities. And he's so good at it. And And Simba's just lapping up that bait. Simba feels like he needs to be a certain way in order to be king, which Hamlet is on... Not about. No. Hamlet's whole deal is not based around the idea of kingship at all. And I think that this movie, like we've stated before, is supremely obsessed with this concept of being a king. Which seems a lot more like our good friend Henry IV Part One. Yeah, yeah, this is kind of Prince Halley. Even though Prince Hal goes, oh, I need to be all these things. Fuck that. Yeah, I need to be dirty in order to feel cleaner later. So Simba knows what he has to do. He has to do what he's not supposed to do to prove that he's brave and go to the elephant graveyard. But he's not going to do it alone. At least he's not that stupid. What? So his plan is just bring along another kid kid with him and ditch his chaperone in order to go to it well yes so he goes to ask nala who's getting a bath and sarabi's like yeah cool you guys have fun going on your adventure to redacted because simba doesn't say it obviously oh you know the watering hole but you have to bring babysitter zazu with you you have to bring polonius along with you the coolest guy around And the kids are like, what? That sucks. But like, that's probably happened a million times before. I assume that the heir is not allowed to walk around without a chaperone. They head on their way to the watering hole and Zazu overhears them whispering about something. He doesn't know what it's about, but he starts talking about how 
Simba and Nala are going to get married and they're betrothed and they're just like whispering little cuties, sweethearts whispering to each other. It's kind of weird, Zazu, don't ship kids together. And that's very anti-Polonius. Yeah, he doesn't want people today. He's like, no one do anything ever. It is much more nurse from Romeo and Juliet energy. Yeah. So, huh, once again, not a carbon copy of a character from Hamlet. Yeah, this isn't a direct adaptation. And so we get another bop. Where young Simba goes, well, you know what, Zazu? I hate you. So let me sing about how much I want to be king so that I can do whatever I want and be lazy and break all the rules because I make the rules and I'm going to fire you. You're going to leave England. This is some more Prince Hal energy. But whereas Prince Hal throughout the whole play is faking his hedonistic impulses, Symbol wants to be hedonistic. Symbol thinks that being a king is a carefree way of life. And honestly, he's obviously not listened to anything that Mufasa has told him. Yeah. This song is very kings don't need to be beholden to anyone energy. And I'm just going to take that and put it in a pocket for later. They escape, though, with the whole chaos of the song. A bunch of animals fall down and they fall on Zazu. And oh, it's so silly. He's dead. Yeah, Zazu would die. (laughs) It ends with a rhinoceros sitting on him. Yeah, that bird's dead. But it gives Simba and Nala a chance to run away to the elephant graveyard. At this point, I am locking in that Simba is much more of a Prince Hal figure. Okay. So I'm going to make the claim that I wish that Prince Hal had a Nala, mainly because the Henriette needs more girls. Like, Nala's cool! I wish there was a cool girl like that in Shakespeare. Megan, name a cool girl that isn't in a comedy. Yep. So they go to the elephant graveyard, and we meet the hyenas. Okay, these hyenas, I know that we're saying they're the French, but they act a lot like the murderers in Macbeth, especially in this scene, because they keep making food references at the kids. I mean, unlike the murderers in Macbeth, they actually do want to eat the baby lions, and I don't think that the murderers in Macbeth wanted to eat the baby humans. What, you egg? Young fry of treachery. (laughs) There's three of them, and the energy is just very Macbeth murderers for me. Okay, they could also be the two murderers from Richard III. (gasps) They could be. Really, they're just murderers. Anyone in Shakespeare who's got the title murderer in there. Yeah, they are Shakespeare's murderers. That's what they are. And also maybe the French. They're they're French murderers. They're the French murderers. And so then they have a chase scene throughout the elephant graveyard. Oh no, they're going to get the kids and eat them. Yeah, and Zazu, and they capture Zazu, and they're going to put him in a birdie boiler, not the birdie boiler. What a weird little scene. But Simba and Nala are like backed into a corner at this point. The chase is done. They got caught. And then in order to try to scare off the hyenas, Simba tries a little roar. Roar, roar. And I think that this roar is a vital theme in this film that I don't see talked about in like any discourse for this film. So Megan, I want to track Simba's roar. So, yeah. You know, Simba tries here to roar and it fails. And he tries a second time because the hyenas are like, mm, that's all you got. 
And then Simba roars again, and it's a big roar. What? It's not Simba. Mufasa's here to kick ass. And he does kick ass. He kicks those hyenas' asses so hard. Mufasa's hot? Megan, Mufasa's also hot. Stop it, Lion King. Megan, I firmly believe that Lion King is a furry gateway drug. It's a furry awakening. Yes, it's, it's their damn fault for making the eyes so expressive on these damn lions. I am personally not a furry, but hell, after Lion King and after Disney's Robin Hood, like, I completely understand why people would be furries. Yeah. The hyenas are whipped into shape. They apologize. They're like, I didn't know it was your kid, because there's all these other male lions obviously having kids. And they run off. And in the background, Scar. He's looming. This is where we would insert a Shakespearean monologue. Like a short one. Like a short one. Like, I'm going to have my big one soon. But here's a little taste. A a teaser, if you will. Mufasa needs to have a talking to with Simba. So Zazu takes Nala home. And this is really good, scary parent talk energy. Which I know that you've had a talk with your parents where you've had to walk into a room. And like... Mufasa's not even looking at him. He's just like, Simba, come here. Oh, so spooky. And then we do see Simba, and he's got his little paw, and he's just walking toward him. And then we see Simba's little paw lands in one of Mufasa's big paw prints, which is a very, very good metaphor about how Simba's not ready to be king, and he cannot fill those shoes, those paw shoes. I am literally... Almost going to start crying right now. Just thinking about just it, Megan? Just thinking about... Ab- I knew you were starting to cry when we were watching the movie, but you were just thinking about it right now, Megan? It's so beautiful, and it's so poignant, and it needs no words, and then there are words later, and the words just add to it. The scene is just so perfect. Oh, no, this is the best scene in the movie, Megan, hands down. <sighs> so Mufasa tells Simba that he's only brave when he needs to be because Simba thought that being king was just... Always being brave, 24-7. Yeah. And that is something that I don't think we'd ever hear a king from Shakespeare say, is like, I'm not really that brave all the time, buddy. No. Mufasa says that he's not just a king, he's a lion with feelings as well. Heavy is the head that wears the crown, and being a king is a front that you put on when you need to. Every Shakespeare prince needs Mufasa as a father, and then there won't be any tragedies, even though there is a tragedy in The Lion King. But, like, honestly, the princes would turn out a lot better. Yeah, and then, like, they just very smoothly pivot from a reprimanding to just father and son playing. And they're just a great father and son. It's just a nice, like, playful moment. Well, because it's very obvious that the movie wants to tell you that, like, yes, Mufasa is mad at Simba for doing this, but it's coming completely because he loves Simba and he wants Simba to be safe. And he also wants Simba to be sure that he knows that, not just the audience. And that kids watching it know that just because your parents upset with you because you worried them doesn't necessarily mean they hate you or something. And parents are more often than not terrible at expressing that second part. Yes. (laughs) And it's just, 
It's so good. And as they play, the scene goes from sunset to like pure darkness. And it's just another quiet show of transition of time and like that idea of the circle of life and things changing and losing sunset, losing hours, etc. And Simba says to Mufasa, we'll always be friends, right, Dad? You'll never die in a stampede. You'll never die horribly in a couple of days, Dad. And Mufasa says, don't worry, kid. Even if I were to die, look at all those burning dots in the sky. Those are all lions. Those are all kings in heaven. I mean stars. Lion stars, not heaven. Every dead lion is right there looking at you. But only the kings. So we cut to the hyenas inside their lair of caves and hot springs or geysers. It seems awesome. I don't know where it is, but I like it. I love my geyser cave. They're licking their wounds because Mufasa fucked them up real good. And Scar's like, don't worry, guys, I've got a plan. And they're like, oh, what would that be? And he's like, kill Mufasa. We're going to kill Mufasa. So anyways, he has a song. Mmm... It's so good. Yeah, it's good. It's gay. It's good and gay. And then it's not good. Why, Megan? Because then they do a Nazi thing. Yeah, it's not great. All the hyenas are there and they're all goose-stepping. Yes, there we go. While Scar's up on a platform above them. Anyway. I don't... Are you just going to keep on this point, Megan? I don't know how I'm supposed to move on from this point because it's such a good film and then they do this and that's so... They're just using shorthand, Megan, and it's weird shorthand. It's n- unnecessary shorthand. Yeah, we know he's been. And it's traumatic shorthand. Yeah. Like, that's not something to just throw in lightly. Yeah. That's what bothers me so much. Yeah. Listen, they wouldn't do it today. No, no. I would also like to make the point that villain songs are basically monologues. Oh, yeah. This is his big monologue. You learn something new. Plots develop. You hear the inner workings of a character. And that's just Shakespeare monologues. His words are a matter of pride. Like lions and the rock. We get to Scar's plan. And Scar and Simba are in a little valley area. And Simba's like, cool, we're going to go do something. And Scar's like, "Uh uh-uh, you got to wait for your dad. Now I'm going to go leave and you just sit here alone and wait for your dad. There is no water around you for many, many miles. There is a pack of wildebeest up there that might come down and crush you. Bye, kid. He doesn't say these things, but he might as well, because he is also, again, very clearly a bad person. But Simba very much trusts him. And it's like, cool, I'll wait right here for my dad and I'll play with the lizard. And he roars at the lizard in his little roar. And the first two times, there's nothing. And then the third time, the lizard scampers off and his roar echoes. And at that point, the hyenas attack a group of wildebeest on top of the cliff and they start a stampede. And that means that Simba thinks that his roar in which he's trying to become king, is the cause of the stampede. One, I started crying at this point because I knew it was going to happen. What, what do you mean? Wait, Megan. Shut up, Marquez. Wait, what's going to happen? You'll see. Two, I just want to take a moment to say 
Claudius could never handle being as evil as Scar. No, Scar's super evil. We have that scene of Claudius praying and being like, I am a terrible human. I am a sinner. I just wanted this thing. And God, I fucked up. God, please don't send me to hell. I'm sorry. But it happened. Scar shows no remorse ever. And also Claudius kills his brother with poison while he's sleeping. He doesn't do half of the shit that Scar's about to do. So the stampede starts. Scar goes to Mufasa and Zazu and is just like, Oh, Simba's in danger. He's in the valley of the wildebeest. Mufasa, of course, is like, that's my kid. I got to jump in there. And Zazu's like, I'll go get help. And Scar punches him in the face. That's not, he swats him like a cat would. And he hits the cliff wall and falls. So my question is, Megan, if the whole plan is to kill Simba and Mufasa in order to take the throne, why didn't he just kill Zazu too? Well, now Zazu can act as a partial witness and be like, yes, Scar came and warned us. And then I don't know what happened. I don't remember everything else. Yeah, but then just hide the body. I think you'd be caught as a murderer, Marquez. He's gonna get caught as being a murderer anyway. Only because he confesses. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Okay, so if Mufasa dies. Yeah, Mufasa gets done dead. He died. He gone. Yeah, this is Bambi's mom for millennials. What happens? He gets knocked around. But he but jumps out. But then he out. gets up again. He gets up and he jumps up the cliff and he's crawling up the cliff and you can tell he's really hurt. Yeah, because nothing's he, gonna keep him down. No, and he's like, He gets up. Brother, help me. Yeah, he falls down. Shut and up. And he gets up again. Shut up. And then Scar's like, oh yeah, I'll help you. And he digs his claws into Mufasa's paws. And I think that is the most visceral thing that you and I, Marquez, would put into a play if we could. Oh, I love it. It's so great. We love hurting wounds further by the evil character. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I thought you were going to say that that's the sexiest thing that Scar does. Oh, no, 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 no. No, it's when he whispers in Mufasa's ear, long live the king, and throws him off the cliff, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's the sexiest thing that Scar does is murder his brother? Just the way he does it. No, it's honestly the way he walks, because the animators did an incredible job. Because he just goes... He's so slinky. He's a slinky cat. But yeah, so he he throws Mufasa off the cliff, and Mufasa fucking dies. No! And Simba's there to watch it. But he doesn't see the part of Scar Scar doing it. He just sees him falling. Yeah. Simba go down, and he goes say goodbye to his dad. Yeah, I think I think what makes it super sad, Megan, is the desperation in Simba's voice when he just calling out somebody, anybody, because he just he just wants help. He's like, Man, I can't help him, but maybe someone else could. He doesn't realize there's no way he survived that fall anyway. Yeah, he's dead, friend, and he cries and he curls up next to him. Because his body's still there, and it's his dad. Megan is legitimately almost crying. I'm just gonna make her keep talking. And, like, fuck. So, like, (laughs) so Simba's like, my dad just fucking died, and it's my fault because I caused the stampede that killed him. And then Scar comes in and is like, yeah, not only that, 
the only reason he came was because you were down here. So like, it's a thousand percent your fault. So the line he says is like, if it weren't for you, he'd still be alive. What will your mother think? Like, <laughs> fuck. Scar's an asshole. That's wife. the worst thing you could ever say to a kid or anyone. And Megan, here's the thing. He says this with the intent that he's going to kill him. Yeah, he's like, you killed my fucking brother. You killed the king. You're a piece well, of shit. Well, it's garbage. also the fact that why would you need to say this to the child if you weren't the cruelest person alive? Because he is intending to end this kid's life and he wants this kid's final thoughts to be you caused your father's death and your mom would be so ashamed of you and then you're going to die because I'm going to send hyenas after. He says if you ever come back here, we will kill you and send well, the hyenas the hyena, No, the hyenas say. The hyenas say that. But like, they're, they're, they're Scar's lackeys, so it's like the same thing. I don't think Simba knows that they're Scar's lackeys. Oh, that's true. Because... But like how they show oh so scars leaves and then no, they show up. So what up. happens? Here's my here's here's the sequence was, of events. You were too I was emotionally crying too hard. I yeah. I miss parts. Yeah. Here's the scene, Megan. Yeah. Scar tells Simba to run away. He leaves, and then the hyenas come out of the shadows. Yeah, okay. And, and then Scar says, kill him. Which, like, again, you rubbed salt in the wound before you're going to kill your... Because you want him to die miserable. And that that's not necessary. No, that, it's I mean, so that's a, cruel. That's a thousand percent like the same thing as him telling Mufasa, long live the king. It's like, you just got to twist that knife in before you do it because it'll make you feel a little bit better. I'm going to start crying again. It's okay. Simba runs and he falls down a cliff and ends up in a briar patch which saves his life. Which makes Marquez finally understand the phrase. This was your favorite film. You watched it so many times. The clamshell case is covered in your bite marks. How did you never understand Briar Patch when you saw it that many times? I just associate Briar Patches with badness. Me as an adult would never go into a Briar Patch. Because you're too big. Exactly. So my brain thinks of that phrase and I go, well, Briar Patch won't save me. That's because you're not a rabbit. Or a baby lion. So Scar takes the throne and is like, also the hyenas are part of it now. And everyone's like, oh no, I hate hyenas. The French? Ah." And the Catholic Church is especially like, oh man. And by that, I mean Rafiki. I mean, he seems more upset that the divine right of kings was broken and Simba died. You're right. He's not that upset about the French hyenas. Yeah, he's just like, Simba. I'm so sad. And he smears the picture of Simba a little bit like, is dead. Anyway, next scene. Simba's collapsed in the desert and is saved by Timon and Pumbaa, a meerkat and a warthog. Pumbaa means lazy in Swahili. Okay. Is this a little note? Here's the thing, Megan. You say that, Pumbaa's not that lazy. I don't think that laziness is a real trait. Like a trait that you can have? Yeah. Like, you are lazy? Because I think that that is a societal bullshit thing, Mm. being like, you are not productive enough for capitalist society. You're not wrong. And a lot of times when people are quote-unquote lazy, it's because they have some sort of illness or mental block that means they need breaks. Huh, weird that a human can't work 24-7 like a machine. So what you're saying is that Pumbaa is a socialist. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, 
Timon and Pumbaa, these guys are my childhood. Fucking love Timon and Pumbaa. Couple things I love about them. I love that one of them's big and one of them's little. Great character trait. Love their rapport together. They do the thing where one of them says a plan and the other one ignores him and then says the same exact plan and says, I got an idea, the same thing you said. And the other one's like, oh, okay. Love that thing. That's one of my favorite things that ever happens in any fiction. And basically most of my personality is Timon and Pumbaa combined in some way. They're a gay couple. It's also very obvious that the voice actors recorded in the same room at the same time. Yeah. Which no one else did in the film. But the creators wanted Timon and Pumbaa to have a perfect chemistry. So they let the lovers work together. Yes. Simba is obviously upset at everything that had just happened. Yeah, his world just fell apart around him. And Timon and Pumbaa offer him... Hedonism. Yeah. <laughs> Hedonism, yeah. <laughs> you gotta put your past behind you. You just gotta live for today. You can't think about the bad things in your life because you can't do anything about them. How about instead, you eat this big juicy bug? Oh, it looks good, Megan. That's my thing, Megan. The bugs, most of them look pretty tasty in this movie. Were the 90s all about eating bugs? Yes. It was all skateboarding and eating bugs. Because, like, the Rugrats was also just, like, there's a lot about it where Phil and Lil would just be like, I love worms. Yeah, those didn't look as tasty as these. No, but still, like, I think a lot of media involved eating bugs. (laughs) Convince children to want to eat bugs. Then we will sell candy sets that are like bugs, and you can make gummy bugs to eat. And listen, many cultures eat insects, and that's fine. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about American 90s obsession with eating bugs and dirt. And we get Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. Oh, no, it's it, it, uh, you cannot say that without me responding with that. Megan. It ain't no passing craze. It's just a great song. And the whole point of it is just chill. Fuck it. Live your life. You don't need to be a king. You don't need to be brave. You don't need to follow anyone's expectations. Just relax. You have no obligations and no responsibilities. Listen, it sounds great when you say no worries. It's it's like, chillax, my dude. No worries. Take it sleazy. But like, really, what it's saying is you don't have any responsibilities nor obligations to other people. So fuck them. Enjoy yourself. Which is... Not great. No, but we see that Simba spends a lot of time living the Hakuna Matata life as he grows through the song. And Marquez would like to go back into his well of memories to inform our listeners that he cried not at Mufasa's death, but at Simba walking across the log and growing up way too fast because Marquez, as a child, did not understand the storytelling tool of time passing through montage. And he thought that that log was a time log that made people grow up. (laughs) He was very frightened that he was going to grow up very fast. I can't ever step on a log. All these kids are walking on logs. They don't know. What if it's time log? Yes, Megan, a legitimate fear I had. But he goes on to the other side of the log and Simba's hot. (laughs) Oh no, another hot lion. 
Every adult lion's hot. What? I don't know what to tell you. I didn't do it. Going back to Shakespeare for a second. Timon and Pumbaa are very much in line with Falstaff and Poins. Who are like, let's just eat, chill, maybe do a couple pranks, and not have responsibilities. Yeah. Young Hal. Yeah, like, Falstaff has a whole speech about, like, what is honor? A word. And I feel like that's very much an Akuna Matata sentiment of just, like, honor is something that people made up. Doesn't really exist. So you don't really have to be honorable. Well, Akuna Matata. And Simba's living the high life, and we cut back to Pride Rock. Scar's just living his dream, eating some food, and making Zazu sing songs for him while he eats, and I have flashbacks to Lord of the Rings with Pippin singing to Denethor while Denethor just fucking destroys that tomato, and it's disgusting, but Scar is still fine. And they sing It's a Small World and I've Got a Lovely Bunch of Coconuts. I just would like to make the connection. Remember how I put that little thing in my pocket earlier? Yeah. Oh, here it comes. <gasps> oh. woo Scar is Simba in I Just Can't Wait to Be King. He is. He's just doing whatever he wants. Yeah. And without having to deal with the consequences of his actions and his orders. Zazu's not his advisor role no. anymore. He's just a little singing boy. Kings don't need advice from little hornbills for a start. It's also important to note that Scar has made a law to never mention Mufasa, which I will say Claudius does not do. They're just like, Hamlet, stop bringing him up. Come on. Yeah, and we find out that there's very little food left and there is a drought happening. Because God's mad. Yeah, this is like when Macbeth is king and the world is fucked up. Because the natural divine right of kings has been disrupted. And horses are going mad. There is no food in the pride lands. It's just all bad. The fact that the water goes away. There's no water. There's no water. That's God. We get this glimpse of terror and destruction and everyone's gonna probably die eventually. And we go back to the boys. The three caballeros. It's not them. But it's Timon, Simba, and Pumbaa. Man, you just got me so excited for Panchito Pistoles, Jose Carioca, and Donald Duck being in The Lion King, Megan. Oh, man. They have fun. I wish. But they're just hanging out, relaxing at night. They're looking at the stars. And we get a glimpse into the philosophies of these three individuals as they ask, what are stars? I think that Timon is a very tactile philosopher because the way that he describes the stars are just what he knows, but translated into something he's unable to understand. Because he says that the sky and the stars are fireflies that get stuck in that big bluish black thing, which is just like, that's what I know. Also laying the groundwork for Ray and Princess and the Frog. (gasps) Oh my God, Megan, what? Yeah. Yeah. Holy fuck. I didn't connect that at all. Yeah. That's interesting. Meanwhile, Pumbaa is a scientist and he knows exactly what stars are. It's more just the fact that Pumbaa's like a theorist. (laughs) Oh, I thought those were flown balls again. Yeah. That's funny. It's funny. And then Timon says, Pumbaa to you, everything's gas because he farts a lot. And then Simba goes, oh no, those things, they're lions. (laughs) Megan, I'm going to be real. This is like when you're talking about something 
and your Christian friend brings up a Bible passage in your normal everyday conversation and you are not prepared to deal with this right now. And so everyone in your friend group's like, yeah. oh yeah. <laughs> Except Timon and Pumbaa don't act that way. They openly mock Simba's beliefs. Yeah, that kind of sucks. <laughs> but this is showing that even though Simba has cast off his responsibilities and his divine right to be king, it's still part of him. Yeah, but he does deny it. He does. He's just like, yeah, that is silly, right? But like, it's kind of sad. It's it a is sad. sad. Moment. Yeah, and it's so sad that he goes out onto a cliff and then flumps down. <laughs> And then, like, daffodils form the word sex. Allegedly. I haven't seen it. But then the daffodils float through the air, through the night, and end up with Rafiki, who puts him in a turtle shell and says, Ah, yes, Simba's alive, obviously. He's one of the people in Shakespeare that has prophecies. He has visions and shit. I would like to know what his official title is. Yes. He's the one who does the cub raising and also does all the rituals. Like, who is this guy to them? Are there other baboons out there learning these this craft? We cut back to Moan and Pumbaa. They're just hunting for bugs. But oh no, in the distance, a lioness <gasps> getting ready to pounce and literally kill and eat Pumbaa. Like, she's going to murder Pumbaa and devour his flesh. Yeah, she's going to kill him. Pumbaa says she's going to eat me. And who comes to save the day? Simba! Yeah. and Protecting a, his friend. They have a cool lion fight. And Timon is like, see, I knew having him around would be helpful, which is weird because it's kind of saying that they're using Simba for their own protection, which is a flip of Henry IV Part One. Where Hal does the whole, yeah, I'm hanging out with Falstaff and Poins so that when I stop hanging out with them, I seem even better. I mean, they do use Prince Hal because they have Prince Hal pay for things. Oh, yeah. But we don't have the Prince Hal version of it. Yes. Like, Simba's a good boy. Yes. And then the two lions are fighting, and Simba realizes, oh my god, this is Nala. Yeah, because she pins him. And that's what she did when they were little. Yeah. Pinned you again. And Timon and Pumbaa are like, wait, who's that? And Simba goes, she's my best friend. And I think this is the closest we get to Prince Hal turning his back on Falstaff. Sure, it's right. to Timon and Pumbaa's face being like, she's my best friend. Not like you guys who I've lived with for the past God knows how long. So like, this is strange to me, Megan. How do you view the Timon and Pumbaa and Simba relationship? Do you view them as just best friends? Is that how you view them? I know that you think of them as his gay dads. Yes, that's how I view them. Like, they're his gay dads. They find this orphan child and they go, we're your gay dads now. It is strange. I think that their relationship is a weird one because also I think that later, as they say before, can you feel the love tonight? They don't act like parents with a child. They do act like friends. So it is a kind of a little bit of both relationship. Yeah. I think I see them more as friends because of Can You Feel the Love Tonight. That's fair. So Nala's like, oh my God, Simba, you're alive. You have to come back. You have to kick out Scar. You have to take your rightful place. This is what you're supposed to do and you have to do it. And Simba's like, uh, no. Which I'm going to be real, Megan. I'm on Simba's side. 
because Nala doesn't know Simba's lived experiences. And He's it, traumatized! Yes! And not to mention, just because the ruler is bad doesn't mean you need a male lion to come in and do your dirty work for you. Kill him yourself, Nala. Where this film falters, and honestly where the divine right of kingship falters, is that this is the way that the world is. Gendered. It is gendered, and it is how things have always been, therefore that is how things should be, or God will be really mad. Yeah. This film reinforces that idea when it's like, if Simba wanted to, Simba has the right to live this way because of his trauma. Yeah. Like, he was told if he ever goes back to Pride Rock, he will be killed. Yes. And he has grown up without any other lessons of life. He spent his childhood learning things that are stressful. You have to do this, 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 this. It's all on your hands. You're going to need to run everything. Then he gets taught that everything that has gone bad in your life is your fault. And because of that, you're going to get murdered if you come home. Who would want to come home? Yeah. But Nala's not having it. Fix your own dang house. And then they fall in love. Yeah, it's really fast. It's during a song. Which is so strange. And I think it's going to sound bad. What really is at the bottom of it is they're just two horny lions who haven't seen another line of their sexual preferences. And so therefore they see a line of their sexual preferences and they're like, I'm in heat. AKA all Shakespeare's romances. Yes. They're young, dumb, and full of love. Okay, Nala's hot. Yeah, it's weird, Megan. She gives the most bedroom eyes I have ever seen in any character, human or animal. Yeah, yeah, she's down. She's down to clown. But we do continue to, even while they're falling in love through the song, get their inner thoughts, which Nala's are filled with her expectations of Simba to be king. Why yeah. won't he be the king I know he is? Yeah. And then Simba's like, cool, she'll never understand my trauma. I think here, if I want to, I can say that Nala takes the place of Henry IV, putting expectations on Hal because Mufasa died. So yeah. now it's her job yeah. to be like, you got to shape up, kid. Yeah. Nala and Simba have an argument about this after the song ends. We're in love, but we're still mad. I'm like, yeah. Good. Yeah. Kept that. Yeah, and basically one of the lines that I love is that Nala informs Simba that he needs to go back. It is his duty to do so. And Simba tells Nala, you're sounding a lot like my father. And Nala says, well, somebody has to. Yeah, Nala, you could just go and do it yourself. You don't need Simba. Go be the king we know you are. Yeah. You're the one who went out to look for help. How about you find out that the help is you just got to need to do it yourself. And you go back, you kill Scar, you take Pride Rock. You're the king now. Oh, King Nala. I'd watch that. I mean, that's the thing. It is very gendered that it has to be Simba because that's how lions work. But the thing is, that's also not how lions work. No, it's because it's the divine right of kings. It's a little bit of both because that's how lion packs work is there is a male lion who sits around and does nothing but protect the lionesses from other male lions and the lionesses do the brunt of the work. So Simba's upset from the argument and talking about his dad. and He runs off. And he goes and he looks at the sky and he's like, you're supposed to be here and you're not. And Rafiki's there 
And he's singing a little song. <laughs> and he's just being a little silly guy. Okay, Rafiki is now a Shakespearean fool. Yeah, he switched modes. He switched modes from the Catholic Church to a fool because now we have a king figure who needs a fool to talk some sense into him. Yes. And I just want to point out the line, it means you are a baboon and I am not, is the most Lear's Fool line I've ever heard from someone who's not Lear's Fool. I love it. It's great. And Rafiki's like, oh, your dad's here. What are you talking about? I know him. Yeah. He's right here. And he starts this little chase and Sim's like, oh my God, my dad's alive and he's chasing him. Oh, I would also like to state, Megan, this is another moment when I was a kid that scared the shit out of me. For some reason, the idea that like Rafiki is leading him somewhere and Simba doesn't know where and he leads him to, like through these vines and like it's like the music is intense. And for some reason, like that scared me as a kid. <laughs> but Rafiki goes, he's down there and Simba leans over and it's a pool of water and he sees himself and he's like, you're dumb. That's Simba. That's me. And Rafiki's like, no, look harder. It's Mufasa because he's like he's his he's like his dad. You see, he lives in you. He lives in him. I'm tearing up. Okay, and then we get the famous cloud scene where Mufasa comes in through the clouds and is like, "You've forgotten who you are. You are my son and the one true king." Blah blah blah. And I just need to say that all of this. All of this beautiful scene that I loved as a kid is absolute bullshit. I hate this shit. It is very Shakespearean, but it is also absolute bullshit that the world and the universe enforces the idea that since you were born a prince, you need to be king. Like, it could be like, you're the only one who can stand up but that's not it. It's not it. You're the only one who can stand up to Scar, so you need to go do that. No, it's you're supposed to be king, buddy. Shape up. You've forgotten who you are. That's I think, is very insulting. You're not living up to what I expected of you. I'm disappointed. Yes. It is so weird. I know it's supposed to be good, a good scene where Simba's realizing something, and that's what we're supposed to think about it, but it's fucked up if you think about it for just a second. This, though, is also very Hamlet Senior's ghost. Yes. Being all, remember me, Hamlet, remember me. And so afterwards, Rafiki talks to Simba again, and he mentions how change is good. Change is good? What, you mean you're changing the fact that there's got to be a king and it's got to be Simba. That's not change. That's going back to well, basics. Changing back. Yeah, yeah, but that doesn't mean change is good. It's really good. good to put on that old hoodie you liked. Bullshit, Rafiki. <laughs> this is bullshit. And he talks about like how, you know, you need to learn from your past instead of running from it. But it's like, that's a traumatic event. See, that's my thing. Simba did not make this conscious decision as an adult to ignore his responsibilities. And I think that is key to this movie. Simba did not make this a conscious choice. Simba was a traumatized child who lived his life in fear of going back. He didn't make a choice. You don't get to make these choices as a child. You're not responsible for the trauma that others have inflicted on you. And it's wild that I have to talk about this in a Lion King episode. 
You're just not responsible for that. That's not your obligation. That's not your responsibility. He never got to work through it. Yeah, he, he hasn't done that yet. He lacks agency. Simba lacked agency. Nothing that he did is his responsibility, so he doesn't need to fix anything. Like, it's nice if he does, but he is not responsible for the state of the world. But he is, so he goes back to Pride Rock. And it's all triumphant. And meanwhile, Marquez is like sitting there really analyzing this movie for the first time going, fuck, I don't dig this movie as much anymore. So everybody wakes up in the Timon and Pumbaa household and Simba's gone. Yeah, nobody knows where he went except for Rafiki. Who's like, oh, that guy, he went to Pride Rock, which is the least Hamlet move anyone can ever do is just like, this is what I got to do. I'll instantly do it. Yep. And, you know, Timon and Pumbaa need to get caught up on the plot of the movie, and they get confused. One of my favorite lines is, the monkey's his uncle. <laughs> and then Nala's like, no, 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 he has to go to Pride Rock to kill his uncle so he can be king. You know, a whole divine right of kings thing going on here. Let's go. And then, like, it's weird because Timon, Pumbaa, and Nala kind of just arrive at the same time as Simba. Simba got lost. Yeah, he just got lost. Here's the thing. Nala just left Pride Rock. Oh, she, so knows. she knows the directions. Yes. It's been a whole bunch of years for Simba. Yep. So he got a little lost. That makes sense. We just well, didn't have to watch it. So what I like here is that Timon and Pumbaa vow to help him to the end, which is not a very false staff move. Oh, God, no. No. So I like that. Yeah. Like, they're just like, we're friends. Of course I'll help you. We raised you. We're your gay dad, son. We'll put on some costumes and do a luau to distract the hyenas. You know what, Megan? They don't view him as a son. I've got the perfect thing. They're his gay uncles. They are his gay uncles. Like, we're friends and also family. Yeah. But we don't feel an overbearing responsibility for you. We cut to the lion side of Pride Rock, and the women have all gone out to go hunting, but there's no food, and Scar calls out for Sarabi, and she walks up more regal than Gertrude could ever dream to be. Yeah, Scar yells at her, and when she explains that if they stay at Pride Rock, they die, Scar basically consigns Pride Rock to death. Because this is where the king lives, and all he wants is to be seen as the king. He doesn't care about doing anything good as a king, he just wants to be the king. And if he moves, that means he fucked up. Yeah. So then Simba shows up. And they're like, Simba! Which, how do they know it's Simba? Oh, wait, no, no, wait, no. They don't know who it is at first. That's it. So a guy shows up. (laughs) A guy shows up and they're like, who are you? And then Sarabi goes, Simba? And it's very sweet. The mom, she knows. Yeah, it's me. And Scar's like, oh... Really, Simba? You came back? You want to tell them about how you killed Mufasa? Everybody? We you know what Simba did? See, what I do love is that Simba takes responsibility. Yeah, he turns to his mother and everyone and he's like, yeah, it's my fault that Mufasa died. Even though it's not. And Sarabi looks so sad, but she doesn't look like she doesn't love him. No, she's just like, why didn't you come to me. Why didn't you tell me this? Why did you leave? Like, she just looks like a sad mom. Yeah, and then Scar kind of backs him in a corner and makes him fall off the pride rock, and it's very similar to what he did with Mufasa, and then God sends a lightning bolt down to set a fire. He's mad! God's mad! And Scar 
as he's holding on to Simba over the ledge, has to do another whisper. But instead of long live the king this time, it is, I killed Mufasa. No, murderer. That is ingrained into my fucking brain forever. Just that very specific set of sound bites. Yeah, and the thing is, I love the fact that we're given this idea that it would so easily be a repeat of before, that Simba would fall and die. And instead, Simba finds out the truth and has this bolt of strength to overcome the person who's caused all of this trauma for him. And then they fight. And it's a big fight. There's a big fight. They keep fighting. Oh, his animal's fighting. And Simba takes the high ground. And he's like, okay, Scar, I'm not going to kill you. Just fucking make up for what you did. Like, say sorry. And then run away. And leave. Because I'm not going to kill you, but I will give you the same option you gave me. And I will say, run. And Scar is Macbeth. No! He can't. Go quietly. He has to fight. And so he fights him and um he gets knocked over and Simba doesn't have to kill him because he falls right in front of his hyenas, which he had previously insulted and tried to throw under the bus as the real masterminds of the plan. And Simba tells him, You don't deserve to live, which is the darkest line I've ever heard in a Disney film. It's great. And the hyenas eat Scar. Yeah, the Scar gets eaten by the French. French food. Hmm. And Simba is king. He gets to be the king. And it's raining. They're like, Simba, you're going to be king. And as he starts to go up Pride Rock, it starts raining. God is crying tears of joy. His boy is back. And it should be a slippy rock. But no stumbling on this slippy rock. Because I am the God-chosen king. So I didn't put this in my notes, Megan, but this is the part of the movie where adult Marquez starts to cry. There's something about showing all of the people we met along the way, accepting that Simba's king. You know, you see like Zazu, who like had a contentious relationship with Simba, bow and be like, oh, thank you. Thank heavens for you. Yeah, and like Timon and Pumbaa, boy yeah like he's our boy yep it's great and then he becomes king with another roar and this time it is a good healthy strong mufasa like roar hell yeah baby and then like the light shines on him and so that just means that you know he's king he's king god agrees god says yep that's my boy and we do a transition cut to Pride Rock in the future and everything's green again and the animals are back. Because we're here for another good old-fashioned cub raisin. Yep, and we end where we begin with the Circle of Life playing in the background. We got a couple sequels that we need to make. And then uh, we just end with the, with the whole big family. We end where we began with a happy Pride Rock baby time. So that's The Lion King. We did it. It is a mashup of, if we're going to choose two, I would say Henry IV and Hamlet. But honestly, the truth is, it's The Lion King. Yeah. There are too many mishmashes of other Shakespearean things combined together that just, it's its own thing at the end of the day. You could say that inspiration was drawn, but at the same time, there's a chance it wasn't purposefully done. Yeah, I 
going to go ahead and call it just like not really an adaptation. So erase the file. We can't talk about Delete it. Delete the episode. Sorry, friends. I think that if Shakespeare saw Lion King. Yeah. I think he'd enjoy it as its own thing. Yes. And I think he would say it is a good jest forever. I would also think that Shakespeare would say, ah, moving pictures. <laughs> All right, Megan. Let's do MVP. I mean, okay, he's a motherfucker. It's got to be Scar, though. This story wouldn't exist in any capacity without him. He is this Shakespearean gay villain we all dream of. Megan, what I love is you didn't say Jeremy Irons. <laughs> oh, yeah, Jeremy I for Yeah, that's how we do it. Jeremy Irons. <laughs> Great performance, even though he didn't do all the singing because he fucked up his voice. Great. Yeah, I'm going to go with... James Earl Jones. So. I mean, fair. Good dad Shakespeare. Shakespeare's dads wish they could ever be on the good dads of Shakespeare, which is none. The thing is, James Earl Jones is able to be epic, sweet. Terrifying. Mad, yeah, mad, tired, loving. like effortlessly. It's almost effortless. It's so. almost like he's an incredible actor. Yeah, it's almost like that. It's almost like he should have an actual competitive Oscar instead of just one that they gave him because he's a good actor. Marquez, what would you rate The Lion King? I would rate The Lion King eight moments where I realized that how this film handles responsibility and obligations is fucked up out of 10 beautiful childhood nostalgic moments that I had rewatching this film. How would you rate The Lion King? I would rate it two hyenas, Cheech and Whoopi, but not Chong, out of three times I cried really hard, except it actually deserves more than that. So out of, you know what? It's going to be three, 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 three of them. I'm going to do all three of them. So Cheech, Whoopi, and not Chong. Frank Welker? <laughs> Frank Welker, out of three times I cried real hard. Okay, you so know what? 100%. I'm just going to give it 100, because hell, fuck it. I, I love Lion King. Okay. I'm going to give it 15 hot lions out of 10. <laughs> Guys, why are the lions so hot? <laughs> it is astounding how hot these lions are. Well, that's going to be the end of this episode of Avant Bard. If you liked it, please follow us on all social medias at Avant Bard Pod. And if you really liked it, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash avantbardpod. And we will see you anon. Avant Bard is created by Matthew James Marquez and Megan Charlotte. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash avantbardpod. We would like to thank Riley Allen for the creation of our theme music, Cloverkin for our logo artwork, and everyone in the audience for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Avant Bard, you can visit us on all social media platforms at Avant Bard Pod. Hot lion, hot lions, why are there so many hot lions?